Welcome. Church of the Advent is an Anglican congregation in Denver, Colorado, that seeks to share in the life of God by redefining and reorienting everything around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope you are challenged, encouraged, and move closer toward the gospel by this week's message. Have you ever noticed that there can be um, actions that look the same, and maybe actually are the same, but if they come from different foundations, they're actually radically different? So, um, have you ever been at a, a performance with like five and six-year-olds? And, and they're up on stage, and, and inevitably what you see is they're smiling and they're waving, right? And, and it's like, look at me, look at me. Have you seen that happen? Right? Now, you can have two kids, and they're smiling and waving and look at me, but the foundations can be radically different. So the actions, though they look the same, are different. So if you have one child who's waving and trying to get their parents' attention, look at me, look at me, but they're doing it because they feel unseen, and they're longing for an affirmation that they've not received. Then you have on the other side, a, a child who's, who's saying, look at me, look at me, and they're actually doing it because they know they're delighted in by their parents. And it's like, I'm the one you delight in, in case you've missed it, here I am. Right? Same action, looks the same. Those are radically different things. Or you could even say they have the, the same desire, that, that look at me is a desire to be delighted in. But one is doing it from a place of lack, missing something, wanting something. And the other is doing it from a place of, of wholeness, acting out of knowing that they are delighted in. Now that desire to be delighted in, it, it actually is a deep yearning for what was is a deep yearning for the, uh, to re- try to recapture the glory that we had in the beginning when we were crowned with glory and honor, that we were, we were God's presence, His glory and creation. We were the place where His delight was the greatest. This is why you see on the seventh day, it was very good, that we were those where God's delight and His favor rested on the most fully. And we know that in our rebellion in Genesis chapter 3, we lose that. Right? In our rebellion, we become alienated from God. We are no longer crowned with glory and honor. We are no longer in the place of, of being able to know and see and receive the Father's delight. Because now we're marked by shame and disgrace. And so much of our lives, right, so much of the effort and the energy that we expend in our lives is about trying to hide that shame or overcome it. Because we, we, we want to be delighted in. Now, the ways that we try to hide our shame or try to overcome it, they can actually look very different uh, from one another, but we all share that desire to be delighted, and it can look different because we're unique people, right? And so we are uniquely broken and uniquely fallen, but we actually are always seeking to be delighted in. Why? Because we're made to be delighted in. This is actually built into who we are. This is built into how God created and shaped us. So the the desire to be delighted in is not wrong. Holiness is not about somehow repressing this desire to be delighted in. Because the desire to be delighted in is not wrong. What our source is for that can be wrong, right? The things that we seek to try to meet and fill that desire, those things can be wrong. And there is a gravitational pull in this world to a glory that we can achieve, a glory that we create. Because we, we live in a world where being delighted depends on you, being delightful. 
right? It depends on you, and often, if we're honest, it depends on you in contrast to other people. So it's not just I need to be lovable in order to be loved. I need to be more lovable than the person next to me in order to be loved. We have to be more successful. We have to contribute more in order to have a sense of value or worth. We have to fit in or stand out in order to be affirmed. Now this this dynamic that we live with, it actually is key for us understanding what we see happening in Matthew chapter 23, where Jesus is warning the crowds and the disciples to not be like the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. So you see in verse 5, he says, everything they do is done for people to see. In other words, they want to be honored. They want to be looked at and think they are good and, and holy people, which is actually, if we're honest, just the desire to be delighted in. Right? They want to be seen as special. They want to be delighted in. And, and actually, that desire, it, it shaped their approach to God. So the, the desire to be delighted in means that I have to be good enough to be delighted in. And if I'm good enough, if I'm scrupulous in following the law, if I do the right things, then I'm worthy to be delighted in. And that approach to God was the shaping their approach to all of life. That, that sense of I've got to earn God's delight. We have, to, we have to work and put in effort and discipline in order to be delighted in. And if it's true for me, it's going to be true for you as well. But it's more than just true for you. So we find in verse 4, Jesus says, They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Why is that? Well, if you have to earn delight, then the thing that you want to do is create a system where some earn it, but most don't. And part of that is, if you have to earn delight, there is built into that this, this, this belief that actually God's delight and favor has a limit. And so you have to have, I, if I want it, then I've got to be part of the sum that do all the good things and get it. And everybody else who can't do it, uh, they, they don't get the same delight and favor because we think God's favor is limited. Which means that um, if God delights in you, more delight for you means there's less delight for me. So you, you set up a system where, where that can't be true. And, and actually, that is the root of envy. Right? We envy when other people are experiencing favor or delight. And sometimes, quite honestly, it's because we think there's a limited amount, and if you have it, I, I don't get it. There's less for me. This is why James says in James 3.16 that where you find envy, you find disorder and every evil practice. Because envy is basically the desire to be delighted in with no ability to delight in others being delighted in. Because if you see somebody else being delighted in, you might feel exposed where you don't feel delighted in. Uh, where, where maybe you feel you're not worthy to be delighted in. Or uh, that place of if somebody is get, receiving delight or favor, that means there's actually less for me. Now, that understanding that is actually the, the way of the world, the, the way that we think through things. We need to understand that that's, that's a foundation that is the wrong foundation, and it changes how we understand our reading this morning from 1 Thessalonians. Uh, let me read to you again just a few verses. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. 
encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into His kingdom and glory. How many of you feel like you are living lives worthy of God? Be bold, raise your hand, it's fine, because you can come take my place, that's good. <laughs> the, the problem with the word worthy is that it carries connotations, right, that actually aren't helpful connotations, because we don't necessarily feel worthy of things like that because we know our own sins, we know our own faults. But we have to understand that, that the word worthy, it's a picture word. And the picture word is, is think of, of a scales, a balance. So if you were going to buy wheat in the marketplace, you wanted to buy a pound of wheat, on one side you would put the pound weight. And then you would add wheat until they were equal. Until they were, that is actually the word worthy. It's equal to, it's congruent. It's, it's actually why you find in Leviticus 19, it talks about having honest weights, uh, because if you were dishonest, when you're selling weight, you'd use a light one-pound weight, and if you were buying things, you'd use a heavier one-pound weight, so you'd get benefit. Literally, it says, have righteous weights. It's that same picture of what worthy is, that it matches, that it is, it is congruent. And so when we think of this, um, Paul is saying that we are to live lives that match or that are congruent with God. Now, it's important to say that, that he does not say live lives worthy of the law or live lives worthy of some standard that I have set for you. Live lives worthy of God. Now, again, when we think of our lives being worthy of God, it is inevitable that part of us starts to think of the things that we have done that aren't good and the things that we should do that we haven't done. Uh, so we, we think of, of lists of, of things we should do and things we shouldn't do. And, and there are things we should do and things we shouldn't do. I'm not saying that's not true. There absolutely are things we should do and things we shouldn't do. But this is not about conforming to some external list of do's and don'ts. If we are to live lives worthy of God, that means that our lives are to be in balance, to reflect, to be congruent with God's character, with who He is. And so it's this, this place that our lives are matching His character. This is the reason um, that our approach to God actually shapes our approach to all of life, because whether we know it or not, we become like the God we worship. So if our picture of God is that he is a harsh taskmaster, that he's hard to please, that he's stingy with his blessings, that maybe he's a little cranky, right, then, then we actually become sort of people who are hard to please. That we become those harsh taskmasters. We become those who are stingy with, our, with blessing, with our resources. That we can be a little cranky when things don't go our way. And if we understand that God is good and we see his goodness and we see his compassion and we see his generosity and we see his grace, then actually his generosity, his compassion, his grace and his goodness, they begin to mark our lives because we become like the God we worship. And so when you look at living a, a life that is worthy of God, it's saying that, that our lives match his Right? They're, they are in balance with His. They're congruent with His. And it's that picture of His goodness, His generosity, His grace is actually being evidenced in my life, and it's marking me. But it's, this is a work of grace. Right? This, is, this is all a work of grace. It is not that, that this is happening in our own abilities, because we don't have that ability. This is, this is that place of if we're united with Jesus... 
Right, then his character begins to shape our character. If we are, if we are the vine and, and we are rooted, the branch, and we're rooted into the root, then it's, it's his life in us and for us that also then comes through us. It is, it is a work of grace. The Pharisees did not like grace because grace fundamentally is not fair. You want fair, you get what you earn. So the Pharisees had a problem because you're telling me that I am doing everything right. I'm scrupulous about following the law so that I can be worthy of God's favor. And you're telling me somebody who's doing nothing right receives his favor also? That's not fair. Now this is the scandal of the gospel. Right? It doesn't depend on what we do. It's not about us being good enough. God's favor and delight does not come from what we do. It comes from what Jesus has done for us, applied into our lives by God the Holy Spirit. It's His work that brings God's favor and God's delight for us. Now, I don't know about you. I can, I can know that truth. I can preach that truth. And yet, there are still places where I find I struggle with grace. Here's one way you can know that. Have you ever had rise in your heart this feeling, God, this is not fair? Do you know that feeling? Sometimes it's because something tragic has happened that you don't want to happen. Or maybe something you, a blessing you want is not coming. Sometimes it's because you look at somebody else who are there doing things that don't seem to be seeking after them, and they're being blessed, and I'm seeking to follow you, and I'm not getting the same blessing. God, this isn't fair fundamentally, at its root, when we think, God, this isn't fair, you're not being fair, fundamentally what we're saying is, I have a problem with grace. I've done my part. I've done the good things. I've sought to, to pray, to read the Bible, to go to church, to tithe. I'm even teaching Sunday school with kids that I don't like, right? I'm, I'm doing my part. Now, God, you do your part. Bless me. When we say God's not fair, it's like, no, this isn't right. I've done my part. You have failed to do your part. That's a problem with grace. We struggle with grace because it's not fair. But this is actually the good news. Right? If God's favor and grace depended on us being able to earn it, that we do our part, therefore God is obligated to us, therefore he owes us his favor and his delight, if it were actually that, then none of us would know his favor or his delight. Right? The, the scandal of the gospel, the glory of the gospel, is that, that God's favor for us, his delight in us, is not dependent on what we do. It's dependent on Jesus and what he has done to rescue us. That he is the one who, who takes us out of sin and death and shame and brings us into life and glory, that we actually become the righteousness of God. There is this, this glorious thing that happens where, where guilt and condemnation are gone. Because Jesus became our guilt and condemnation so that we could become his righteousness, that we could become his glory. Now, we still sin, right? But our sins, they do not define us and they do not own us. Another way to think of it is um, one of the things that we struggle with is that if there are sins that we have done that are secret, that we're holding on to, that we're trying to hide because we feel shame about them, or if there are sins that have been done against us, we tend to live as if that is the thing that is the most true about who I am. 
The deepest thing, the deepest truth about me is what I've done wrong that I desperately want people to see or the thing that is done against me. If you have been rescued by Jesus, no matter what you have done, no matter what has been done to you, the deepest truth about who you are is that you are a beloved child of God. That his grace and his love and his power is greater than all of our sin, greater than all the powers of hell, greater than all of our rebellion. This is why Paul can say that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we we need to understand that as we come to this this verse where he's saying, um, live lives worthy of God. We need to actually read it correctly. I'm going to read it again. It says, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. He does not say live lives worthy of God so that he will call you into his kingdom and glory. He is not saying that you have to live lives worthy of God in order to be brought into his kingdom and glory. He is saying, actually, we are called to live out of the truth knowing that he has called us into his kingdom and glory. In other words, we're not living lives worthy of God out of a place of lack, trying to get something, his kingdom and glory. We're actually called to live a life worthy of God with the fullness of the grace that God has given that we would understand and know that he has given us his kingdom and his glory. If we miss that truth, then when we hear live lives worthy of God, we go into self-loathing and condemnation because we think of all the ways that we are failing to do that. We go into a, a, a pressure to perform. We begin to live as if our identity and our worth is actually something that we are responsible for creating. It depends on what we do instead of what Jesus has done for us. Instead of knowing who he has made us to be as his kingdom presence in this world. And then we let sin and shame define us. Instead of being defined by his delight that is given to us. That we are those he calls into his kingdom and glory. And when we let sin and shame define us, we spend so much time trying to hide the sin and shame that we feel, or trying to overcome the sin and the shame that we feel. And that we then approach all of our lives from this place of diminishment, which means that that we are always feeling a a sense of lack, which means that we are always those who are grasping, which means that we spend more energy trying to create an image, a a picture of who we are, that we think other people will delight in so that we will know delight. But it's actually, it's all about grace. There is something about knowing that we are delighted in by God, not because of what we do in order to earn it, but because of what Jesus has done. There's something about knowing that we are delighted in by God that brings such freedom, right? We're, We're not operating from a place of lack where we are grasping. 
This actually is what allows us to be those who are generous because we're not grasping for something. We're not seeking for that affirmation or that delight. In fact, this is what not just allows us to honor others above ourselves, it actually compels us to honor others above ourselves because we are not seeking to be honored and because we aren't seeking to be honored, we can honor others. We want to see them lifted up and honored and and we're not seeking to be honored because we have been honored more fully than we could ever imagine. If you've been rescued by Jesus, you are a son or a daughter of the King of Kings. What greater honor is there? Why would we seek any other honor? Why do we, why do we seek to be delighted in when, when God's delight is poured so lavishly upon us? See, if we have been rescued by Jesus, we are sons or daughters of the King of Kings, and He will never let us go which means his delight in us never goes away. His grace and love is greater than our sin. This is actually what what confirmation is about. It's the apostolic laying on of hands for the empowering of the Holy Spirit for the work of ministry. That those who are confirmed would live lives worthy of God. In other words, that their lives would match His grace, His compassion, His generosity, and His goodness because we have received His grace, His compassion, His generosity, and His goodness so lavishly that that part of what we're praying for is, is hearts to receive and know more fully how much love and grace and generosity He has poured upon us and that actually then we are empowered by God the Holy Spirit to live out who He has made us to be. Those he calls into his kingdom and into his glory. Because the more fully we know that, the less self-conscious we are. And the less self-conscious we are, the less self-promoting we have to be. And the less self-promoting we have to be, the less self-protective we are. See, there is a rest that is actually in this encouraging, this comforting, this urging to live lives worthy of God. Because we have been called into his kingdom and his glory. And he empowers us to step into the glory of who he has made us to be. Which means that we now have a freedom. We don't have to scramble and grasp after all the things that we tend to scramble and grasp after to try to establish some sense of worth, try to establish some sense of identity, and then try to protect it from all the things that come against us. Uh, try to find our place in the world and then, then hold on to it. There is a freedom that comes when we know that we are those that he delights in because he has made us his children. And I want to say that that place of knowing that we are delighted and that we're not grasping for it is that place that enables us to be those who honor others above ourselves, which means we are actually those who have a compelling, by the love of Christ, to share the good news with others. When we honor ourselves over others, we don't want to share because we're afraid what they're going to think of us. If we honor others above ourselves, we actually have an ability to be led by the Spirit of God, to see the opportunities that He gives us to to be those who pursue prodigal sons and daughters with the same generosity and grace and compassion that He has lavishly poured out on us, that they too would come home. His favor is not limited. 
that gives us the joy of the ability to draw others into his favor. And there's actually this weird kingdom math that, that since his favor is not limited, actually I experience it more the more others are drawn into his favor as well. That is the joy of the kingdom that we are called into. That is what we're praying for as we are praying for those who are confirmed. And this is what we need to pray for ourselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your favor and your delight in us is not dependent on what we do. It's dependent on Jesus and what he has done for us, rescuing us, making us sons and daughters of the King of Kings. Father, I ask for, um, for where we have let diminishment and grasping define us, would you work this truth deeper into our hearts? that we can be free from being self-conscious, self-protective, self-promoting, that we would know the joy of wanting to see others honored, others brought into your kingdom. Father, would you shape our hearts to see the opportunities you give us to live out your generosity and your compassion and your goodness and your grace in our days. that prodigal sons and daughters would come home just as you brought us home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We encourage you to take a moment to reflect on what God might be saying to you through what you just heard. For questions, additional information, and resources, please visit adventdenver.com.